Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. Ryan Clark here with Chris Reifer on this Thursday, September 21st, 2023. It is a slightly cooler day than the day before. The days are getting cooler as as fall beckons. Fat times. In, it is fat in the Rose times. City. Yeah, it is it is <laughs> phenomenal. This is this is the best time of year, folks. Yeah, it is. This is this is what we live for right here is uh the September October range. That's right. of uh of weather in in this city. Um a lot of stuff to talk about about the last week or so. Uh, fat times in the soccer world too. Yeah, seriously fat times. We got a lot of uh a lot of games that have been played between the two teams. A lot and that of, have been uh, won. Yeah, that have, have all been won yeah. in, in the time since we last recorded. Um, the, the Timbers with two wins in Austin and at home last night. Uh, obviously a big, big win for them against San Jose. One that you know propelled them to a point of having won four of six under Miles Joseph. Four one and one under his leadership. And frankly, just looking like a completely different team this is a team that of course if you're a regular listener of this podcast you know that chris and i in our analysis had pretty much written off pretty close at, yeah. at, at the point where uh we're right before when geo was fired and then obviously after that that houston game um it definitely felt like everything bottoming out to a point of no return but the timbers are not dead yet they are very much in the playoff hunt in the mix um, in a very crowded and incompetent Western Conference, as we've talked about. But last night's win in particular was was in the words of Miles Joseph, one of their best performances of the season um, front to back and and something that, you know, they can hang their hat on as they continue to, to work through a busy part of their schedule, which continues on Saturday against Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's been a marked difference between uh, what we were seeing in sort of the last few weeks uh, of Geo's tenure uh, and what we've seen in the last few weeks in the beginning uh, of uh, of Miles Joseph's tenure. Uh, and, you know, I think you've got to give Joseph a lot of credit for that. I think you've got to give credit to the remaining staff, uh, Liam Red- Ridgewell, et cetera, uh, for all of that uh, in, in getting the team turned around. And I think you've got to give credit to the players. Uh, it would have been pretty easy, I think, for them uh, and across the board, basically, to kind of look at the situation and say, old boss is gone. Interim boss is, you know, a holdover from the 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 prior administration. Uh, this isn't something that we're, uh, you know, necessarily all that uh, engaged in turning around. Uh, and frankly, I think that probably would have happened as many times as not in these sorts of uh, circumstances and and to their credit that's that's been the 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 reaction has been the exact opposite they really seem to have rallied around each other and rallied around joseph and and the coaching staff oh and and they've pulled out more results in the last couple of weeks than they had in the preceding few months Uh, and that's uh that's that's why they are where they are today now to be clear they haven't made the playoffs yet and even as we've discussed Merely making the playoffs ain't shoot. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it, they still very much stand on a knife's edge in terms of just sort of doing the, the bare minimum of getting into the postseason. And, and you know, I mean, they've got they, they've had a little bit of a soft spot in their schedule the last couple of games. 
Austin's not a team that's playing well. Uh, San Jose also isn't playing well. Colorado hasn't played well in two years. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, they, they're in a soft spot in their schedule, but to, again, to their credit, uh, whereas, you know, I mean, they, so even if, uh, you know, they've kind of been flat track heroes over the course of the last few weeks, that's better than what they were previously, which was very often flat track roadkill. So f- full credit to them. I, I don't mean to take anything away from them in terms of by, uh, by pointing out that the schedule has been pretty favorable recently because they've won those games and, and that represents huge progress. Uh, but what that portends for the future, uh, the track's going to get at least a little bit bumpier in the last few weeks of the season, uh, I think is it very much remains to be determined. And so it's not time, it's time to start popping corks. Even if they went out, it probably still won't be time to start popping corks. If anybody's popping corks over finishing eighth or whatever, like, uh, you know, I mean, maybe a beer, uh, but not corks, not a corked beer. You don't get a nice one. You get like a can. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think it's progress uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I don't think I've ever seen a beer that has a cork in it. I know that. Really? There are... Oh, you got to shop around. Are, is is there is there beer that is corked or is it? I mean, it, it's like traditionally capped. Yeah. In, in my experience, yeah, there, there, but... there are lots of sort of premium craft beers that that are corked. Wow, I, I guess you know my experience with corks extends only to to the point of uh, of wine. You know, there's, as as a, a major whole, wine, a person. whole new world of corkage out there that you are unfamiliar with. Apparently, my God. More corks, <laughs> as if I needed that in my life. But they don't get those um, beers, even if they make the playoffs. They, that's they true. Get a, I, I can't remember what the league, like Heineken or whatever. They get a Heineken. I'm not a huge fan of Heineken. I'm not either, but that's what they get. No. but, <laughs> that, but that, that, That's yeah, what eighth place yeah. gets. Eighth place gets you a Heineken. If you want something with a cork, you get in the top five. That's how it goes. It's like, eh, it's a beer. Yeah. Um, but but no, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, they would like to get into the postseason, but I don't think they'd be satisfied by just getting in either. You know, I, I think that it would be a, a great achievement for Miles Joseph to get them in period, given where they were, given how yep, agreed. De- deep the bottom got after that Houston game. Um, you know, it, it it's a lot of guys playing for their, their jobs. It's, it's, you know, Miles Joseph coaching for, for potentially being one of the major candidates. I, I think that he's shown that he should at the very least be given strong consideration based on the team's performance and, and his sort of tactical knowledge that has been on display in these games. You know, one of the great criticisms I think of, of Geo, especially in the last couple of years was, was sort of the rigidness and, and the team's inability to sort of adapt whether in game or over a stretch of games, right? And Gio would talk about making those adaptations, but often we wouldn't necessarily see it on the field. Now, whether that was a product of of his coaching or maybe his ability to reach the guys or or whatever it might have been over the years, it it is tangibly different under Miles, right? I mean, they are tactically complicated, adapting, utilizing players creatively. Even in situations where they're missing players, it it is no longer an excuse that causes the traditional way of going about things to fall apart, but rather something that they make an adaptation to. Like you look at, you know, obviously signing Brian Acosta in the first place was a big deal, but Brian Acosta's play and his role last night 
in uh, in that win was indicative, I think, of of that philosophy, which which has been consistent through the first six games uh, under Miles. And I was even more impressed with the way the central midfield worked in that game at Austin. Uh, that's not a central midfield that the Timbers would have succeeded with in the past uh, with, with Christian Paredes. Uh, Santiago Moreno and uh, and Evander sort of in central midfield that would have been overrun previously and it wasn't against Austin they they had a little bit of a working into period uh, in 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 that game uh, in the first half hour but once they started to figure those things out once they started to distribute a little bit wider and sort of go around Austin's press a little bit then the game just flipped on its head and the Timbers pretty well dominated uh, over the course of the remainder of that game and so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree entirely. I am not ready to say that that he should or will be a, a major candidate for the coaching job, uh, and that's not even necessarily a reflection on Joseph. I think this is a club that is in near desperate need of new blood, uh, and near desperate need of you know somebody coming in in a prominent role who hasn't been sort of through the fires of the last few years. Uh, and who can bring a fresh start and a new perspective? Uh, they have not done that in the you know handful of other major hires that they've made over the course of the last year, either on the Timbers or the Thorn side. And I think that's that's pretty desperately needed. Would my mind change a little bit if the Timbers you know went out and ended up you know making a serious run into the playoffs, perhaps? But that is kind of the level for me that that he'd have to show. And you know it may well be that uh, that Joseph proves that he either should be given a prominent role on the next staff here, or he'll prove his medal enough to be considered for head coaching positions elsewhere. Uh, I think, I, I think those are both very, very plausible uh, outcomes uh, from this, but you know, unless he really knocks my socks off and, uh, and I'm not there yet, my socks are still on, but unless he really knocks my socks off with the the turnaround and, and, and the way it finishes out, uh, I think the need for a fresh perspective and new blood overrides you know, even the strong work that we've seen from him and his staff to date. Yeah, I just started putting my socks back on. It's getting colder now. I'm I'm mostly a <laughs> a, a barefoot man around put, the house. Put your so. socks on, people. It's disgusting. Put your put your dang socks on. Don't be uh, don't be the person that's like on the plane taking their socks off. Have you have you have you oh, ever seen that? Oh it's God, like, yes, it's happened to me right next. It to is me. yeah, <laughs> truly sociopathic behavior. <laughs> it's put your socks on, people dangerously crazy stuff um yeah look i i think that that's definitely a likely outcome that you know miles proves himself to be a top assistant under the next person uh if he's not the higher um i think he would definitely have to do a lot to to sort of edge out um other names that that the team might be looking at you know they they've spoken privately that they're trying to attract big name coaches for this job and that they're going to try to interview those folks. But, you know, so far it's just vague talk. You know, we haven't heard specific names floated yet for the, for the job. And, and, you know, I guess it makes sense to a degree. They want to give miles room to do his job and not create any sort of distractions, uh, especially given how well the team has been playing the last few weeks. So, um, you know, a, a lot to, to unpack there and we will continue to do so. That said, it's a decision that needs to be made fairly quickly yeah, uh, because they need to get that coach, whoever it is in place so that they can work collaboratively with Ned Grabovoy and his staff on revamping the roster in the ways that it still needs to be revamped uh, and to 
to give that coach the best opportunity to succeed in 2024 uh, that they can have. Uh, and so that we don't have another situation like we have the last couple of years where the Timbers stumble out of, out of the gates while, while they're trying to figure things out and then put themselves behind the eight ball and have to pull a rabbit out of a hat come September. That's where we are now. That's where we were last year. Uh, and I think they need to make that coaching decision early enough so that they have a full off season to get ready for 2024 so that that doesn't happen for a third year in a row. Four games left for the Timbers now. 30 down, four to go. They've got uh, Colorado on Saturday at home. Um, in terrible team. Got a, Truly yeah, terrible team. team. Got to get three points out of it, regardless of short rest, regardless of Paredes not being uh, available due to the yellow card accumulation. Christian which Paredes, of course. Great, great game last night. Great game against San Jose. Truly yeah. one of the dumbest yellow cards I've seen somebody get on yellow card warning. You got a yellow card for for kicking the ball away after a foul. I don't even think he committed the foul. I think it was like no. somebody else and he just walks up and kicks the ball away and and like yeah, not a good moment. I'm sure that's one that he looks back on and and thinks, you know, what the heck was I thinking when I did that? Yeah, but, he, he sort of chuckled when I when I asked him after the game about it because he he do- totally realized the sort of, you know, lack of brain in that moment for for him to, to any and those moments happen in, like yeah that comes every now and then when when you're playing you know the emotions sort of just like reach a, a certain level it is what it is like yeah. I, I don't fault his his character for it he's not a guy that's shown consistently that he's doing stuff like that no and he's been um, playing phenomenally and and yeah. you know by as evidenced by the fact that he's given, been given the armband twice in the last few weeks, he's clearly taken on a leadership role. And I think you can see that in the way he, he's sort of not only asserting himself in games more, which he absolutely is, but also in the way he's sort of asserting his voice outside of off the field uh, that you can see his leadership, you know, him sort of starting to step into that, which is great. I mean, you know, all of the other marks for Paredes right now are glowing, <laughs> except that one where you're like, ah, come on, man, <laughs> what happened in that moment? Yeah, it's it stinks for sure. But his performance last night was excellent. Yeah. I mean, him and him and Acosta were great together. But Paredes in particular, I, I think, has has emerged as one of Portland's most important players. No and question. there's a reason why, you know, Ned didn't uh, didn't sort of accept the offers that were coming in for him and, and that they went out of their way to to sort of share with with various media members privately you know, anonymously, quote unquote, quote unquote. <laughs> that uh, that they decline those offers because one, obviously it makes the club look, you know, good because they they assert themselves in a position where, you know, they are able to decline such lucrative offers. But it also, I think, is is them going out of their way to show appreciation for a player who undeniably over the last several months, whether the team's been good or not, Paredes has been has been very good. And I still think the the Timbers are in a spot. I mean, look, we can't let the last three weeks erase what we saw over the course of the previous six months. And the Timbers can't do that, right? Ned Gravavoy can't do that. He has to consider what he's seen over the course of the next six months. And he still has to be in the mode of kind of making a list and checking it twice for who they think they they want to keep and who they want to sort of have be part of the core going forward and who they're not going to keep. And sometimes those choices can be a little bit difficult. Uh I think Paredes is clearly in the keep category, clearly, clearly in the keep category. Uh, and uh, I think they've, they've, they've made that clear. I was glad to see Acosta's performance uh, against San Jose. Frankly, I thought he had had a rough introduction to Portland. Uh, I think a number of his performances to that point hadn't been very good, including at Austin when he came on 
in that game was really among the most culpable players in giving up the the goal that brought Austin back into the game late as he just completely failed to track uh, a run from, I think it was Triusi, kind of the guy on their team you got to track, right? And he just totally failed to track it, uh, totally failed to pass him off, and and he ended up waltzing into the box un, uh, un, unmarked. And so to this point, I, I had been a little bit skeptical, maybe even quite a bit skeptical of Brian Acosta and his ability to, you know, be anything more than a guy who's going to fill a hole here and there. Uh, he was a heck of a lot more than a guy who just filled a hole against San Jose. He was fantastic. Oh, in every phase of the game, he was fantastic. Uh, and I don't, you know, I mean, that could be one of two things, right? It could be a fluke. Uh, he had a good game, but is going to have consistency problems and, and, and that's going to bite you. Or it could be a matter of him just getting more comfortable. Uh, and getting acclimated and, and and starting to find his role within the team and build that relationship with Paredes and uh, and and with the other guys out there, uh, I think the, the Timbers very much hope it's the latter, and you know they're going to need it to be the latter because he is going to be the guy who is going to be the anchor for that central, central midfield against his former team Colorado. Would be nice to have a follow up sort of revenge performance, if that's even a thing. It's pr- usually not a thing, uh, but a follow up revenge performance uh, against Colorado to show him what they're missing. I just made that a lot more dramatic than it probably deserves. But, you know, I mean, it, it, hey, that's, that's our job that's, is, to, is to create right. this these dramatic narratives. Drama. Narratives are everything when you do what we do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's the hope that it is a matter of of sort of acclimating and getting getting worked into the to the the the, the team as a whole. Oh, but I, I also think it, it's it's too early to jump to conclusions about that, even though. I mean, the Timbers, he's got to fall somewhere on Ned's Ned's list, right? Uh, whether whether he's a, a keeper or send away guy, and they don't have too much longer to make that decision. Uh, and so, you know, if he impresses over the course of these next four games, he may work himself into a place where well, probably a new contract uh, at an appropriate number. He, he might work his way into the keep category, but I'm not ready to put him there, certainly not in pin uh, after just the one performance last night. Yeah, the central midfield is really the area I think of focus right now for this team um, in in what has changed about what they've been doing. I, I think Felipe Mora's play has been great up top. I think that the back line has solidified in a way that you know you can you can rely firmly on on guys like Zach and Dario back there. Claudio Bravo I think has played better lately, but but really the central midfield and how those players are being played and where they're being played um, is crucial. And Evander, I think is, is among that new guy, know, just, it, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like new, he, he new legitimately player in the last few weeks. Yeah. He, he's been completely different in, you know, his approach. He's been different in terms of his positioning. They're, they're playing him a, a little bit deeper. Yeah. His attitude has improved as a result too. Like he, he, He's still a legit playmaker, a very dangerous set piece taker and and somebody who can score a goal extremely casually. Um, yeah, very casually. Or he he almost <laughs> scored on like a little mid-air pirouette last night, so that was that was fed in from Blanca, but um he's got finesse and style and skill and you know all these things, but the biggest difference in something that Miles Joseph actually spoke about after the game is the defensive work rate and his, his ability to to get stuck in and, and be a guy that defends in space and, and 
makes a difference and wins balls for, for the Timbers. He was, you know, during the time playing for geo, he was sort of a stand around and wait till somebody gets me the ball 10. And he wasn't running terribly hard in some of those. And they were often not finding him with the ball. Yeah. And they weren't finding him because like structurally, they just weren't able to build out of the back the way that they have been in these last few games. And so he's a different player. And this is, this is, I think the ideal usage of Evander and his skill set. Now, that does present problems for you down the line questions about, you know, if you retain people like Eric Williamson or not others who play his position that might make things a little crowded, um, you know, who have similar, you know, skill sets, they might not be the same players, but you know, you have to keep that in mind. And so then now are you starting to look at more of a true 10, you know, or, or are you going to sort of shift Santi into that role as, as he has, you know, not so quietly desired over, over the last several weeks. Like it, the, the moving parts are interesting in more ways than just like who's, who's going to be back and who isn't. That's obviously going to be a big part of the off season who they, you know, who they add, who they subtract from the team, but how guys are shifting around within the prism of the team is, is compelling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think this is, this is sort of just one of the rules of, good soccer teams. Uh, it is extremely rare to find a good soccer team at the MLS level or any level higher that doesn't have a good central midfield. It's just kind of one of those things that you can't hide. If you have weakness in central midfield, you're just going to get eat, eaten alive. And there have been times this year where the Timbers just weren't right in central midfield. I think the balance was all wrong early in the season when they were putting Diego Chara on an island and and they had uh, they had Williamson and Evander running together before Williamson got hurt. Uh, I think things were helped at times when it, when Paredes was uh, was paired with Chara, uh, but they still had issues sort of at that number ten spot and figuring out how they were going to use it, how how high the the, the that third central midfielder was going to play relative to the wingers and the and the number nine uh, and how they're going to defend with that third central midfielder. And I think it, it, it's just looked just visually so much better to me in the last few weeks uh, in the way Joseph's been doing that. And, and and largely they've gone to exactly what you described, bringing all three of the central midfielders underneath the wingers, playing more of a true 4-3-3, whereas I think the Timbers sort of flirted with things that were 4-2-3-1 and four, even at times 4-4-2 based uh, under, under Geo. I think it's been more of a true 4-3-3, and I think it's really worked. Now, there are issues with defending in a 4-3-3, especially. The the Timbers have been benefited greatly over the course of the last few weeks by the fact that their wingers have still been pretty well stuck in defensively, especially when uh their their side fullback uh, on uh for the opponent has been pushing on. And they've gotten that work out of Santi Moreno and Dirona Spria and Jimmy Chara and all those guys, which you really need. Because if you don't have that, the 4-3-3 and especially the central midfield really quickly turns into sort of a an unbalanced defensive set uh that that is pretty easy to overlook uh, and they've they've done a good job of of managing those situations and making the rotations and and, and having the buy-in from their wingers to defend when they need to uh to to cover up those, those sort of just fundamental inherent frailties in the 433 uh but there's going to be a big question about how to do it in, against Colorado right you've got to figure that it's going to be uh that it's going to be um uh, that they're going to play Acosta at the six. Uh, and then I think it's likely 
to be Jimmy Chara and Santi Moreno joining him in central midfield would be my guess. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look, there's not a ton of defense in in, in that. Certainly Acosta is, is capable, at least at times. We'll see how often those times are uh, of, of being that defensive presence. But between Moreno and, and, and Jimmy Chara, those aren't guys who traditionally have defended a ton. Certainly not, not nearly as much as somebody like Paredes uh, would. And so whether they're going to be able to keep that balance in, in the game against Colorado is, is a question. Whether it's going to matter because Colorado is incompetent is another question. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the, you know, those are sort of the, the questions moving forward. But I've been impressed with the way that that central midfield unit has operated over the course of the last few weeks under, uh, under Miles Joseph. And I think that's a huge part of why they've been harder to break down. I think that's a huge part of why they've they've been able to spark a few more of those counterattacking situations, and they've been able to solve some of those problems mid-game. A lot of times when you're solving problems, it's because of intelligence in your central midfield. It's because your central midfielders who are getting on the ball in those post-defensive moments are figuring out where to distribute to, are figuring out where the spots to go are. Uh, and that's how you solve problems. And so I think that's been a huge part of why they've been better over the course of the last few weeks, and and I hope to see it carry forward. Whether it will or not, I, I think that's what we've got to stay tuned to watch, um, knowing that the season still very much hangs on a knife's edge. Speaking of strong central midfields. Oh, my goodness. I know where you're going. Por- and this is this is a force of a central midfield. The Portland Thorns with a 2-0 win over OL Reign on Saturday. A really strong performance once again against their rivals. A, a talented Reign team. Uh, that came in with a lot of emotion, knowing that it was Megan Rapinoe's final game uh, in Portland as a professional, barring, of course, a playoff matchup. Um, really cool atmosphere at the game and cheers for Pino when she came off, too. I, I think that, as an aside, that was just a really special thing to be able to witness. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, Pino means a lot to this city. Um, the game itself huge for the thorns not only in in the tight table to regain the top positioning but um for confidence for consistency's sake uh and that central midfield led by by coffee and rocky again dominant um just just purely dominant dominant against really good opposing midfielders it it was no joke the performance that they put in especially in the first half i thought the the thorns just ran rampant over the game uh and it was a really impressive first half performance uh, that put them deservedly, I thought, up to zero. Uh, I I can't say enough about the way the Thorns sort of kept the rain pinned in. Uh, and a lot of that comes uh, from central midfield. I thought both Rocky and Coffee were just phenomenal. As we've seen when the Thorns are good. Uh, and as we were sort of calling for when the Thorns were struggling a little bit, uh, that that devil pivot may- seemed to make a lot more sense than than sort of the one six and two tens approach uh, that they took during those that that period in which games were turning into track meets. I mean, this when when that unit is working well, the Thorns are just so darn good, and that's exactly what we saw in the first half. And then, I, and that's not to criticize the performance in the second half. I think the performance in the second half was exactly what you want. In a game like that, they shut they shut it down. They were up to zero, and the and the rain had a lot more of the ball in the second half, but they never looked keen to cut into that lead, let alone erase it. Uh, and the Thorns made darn sure that this game at two zero up wasn't going to turn into one of those track meets. That's playoff soccer right there. 
that's I mean that that's how you win these kinds of games. Yeah, it is so rare against teams of the quality of of the rain, uh, or certainly of the quality of of the wave or Gotham as they're about to see in in the next few weeks. That you're gonna take a game in September and have it be a runaway, a three or four zero or something like that. That just doesn't happen very often. Even when you play as well as the Thorns did in that first half, and I thought they were spectacular. You know, it's even if you can get your nose in front uh, a couple goals like that, usually the game's going to get tight, and that's a good thing uh, for the Thorns. And and so overall, I mean, it's a massive win. It's a great performance. It puts the, it together with a couple favorable results elsewhere. Uh, really, I mean, uh, a, a fumble from the wave uh, in losing at home. Um, you know, that, that, that would, those are huge points dropped by San Diego, uh, that, that have now, you know, combined with the thorns, excellent performance and result, uh, against the rain made it. So make it so that if the thorns win their next two at home, which don't get me wrong, don't think for one second, I'm saying that's going to be easy. That's going to be hard. The wave and Gotham are good, right? They are, they are what two and three in the table. Uh, they're good. And so those are going to be challenging games to win, but if the thorns win them, they're the shield winners. Win twice at home, and it's that simple. Yeah, it's right in front of the Thorns now. They, they're they in a position where they win these two games, they win the Shield, and, um, you know, that, that Angel City game doesn't matter as much, but at the same time, you know, given that you're going to have a, a bye in the first round in that scenario, uh, you'd expect a, a pretty full team to play in that game, particularly if Sophia Smith is sort of working her way back to full health. That That's key for her, for sure. And Angel City's been playing better. And so that's that is a very tricky game, or at least a very tricky looking game. Uh, if if it turns out to be meaningful for the Thorns in terms of uh, the regular season standings and and that finish, so you know it's going to be hard to do. But they would very much like to to package the, the up the uh, the shield in the next couple at home. Yeah, and to win it on your home field too. I mean, you know, they they put themselves in a position where they could celebrate being shield winners at home in front of their fans uh, in in a game against a really good team in Gotham. So, you know, a lot to to be done before then. But um, you know, this performance I think is indicative of the Thorns being on that track of of being capable of, despite the quality of the two teams coming in, uh, of pulling out those two wins uh, and and. You know, we, we talked about central midfield. We talked about Coffee and, and Rocky, and both of them were, were phenomenal. The ball from Coffee in particular that went into Rodriguez, who, who played it to her left to Sugita for that first goal, um, was as usual from, from Sam, just an otherworldly set piece ball. Uh, and, and Rocky with such a, a heady play to, to leave it for Hina. Not every player would, would do something like that. And, um, you know, not try to take a whack at the goal herself, which would have been a tougher angle, you know, than obviously just leaving an easy one for, for Hina. But um, Morgan Weaver is, is the player that I really want to highlight from, from that game. And somebody that, you know, with Sophia, with Sam Coffey is to me among the MVP candidates in NWSL this year. She has, you know, she has the, will they hurt each other they are they are hurting each other look if if she was on a team that didn't have sophia smith i think morgan would be one of the favorites but i think now you know you could see her placing like fifth in the voting um and and so winning it i think i think regardless of the fact that soph has missed these games she could miss the rest of the season and i i firmly believe that that soph should re- repeat as mvp um 
you know, and, and Sam is somebody that once again, if she were on another team, um, you know, would, would be absolutely in that conversation as well. in in the way that sort of Lindsay Horan won MVP for the thorns uh, several years ago, that type of player who, who makes such a massive impact. It's what happens she, when you're she's like the, the, the Angela Salem hipster MVP pick. The the year that, that Salem just absolutely dominated for the Thorns and was phenomenal. She was like the hipster pick for MVP. That that is Sam Coffee this year. Yeah, the 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 beanie wearing, coffee drinking for for lack of a better uh beverage, coffee drinking people in the world. Beer with a cork drinking. Beer with a cork, you know, those those folk twirling their handlebar mustaches. <laughs> they're exactly they're right. telling us that's well actually I think Sam Coffee should be the MVP of the league. And and by no means am I am I belittling that. I think that that actually is a valid argument that one could make. The problem is Sophia Smith is a Titan and has dominated all season and is putting together an incredible statistical campaign regardless of her injury. And she when she comes back, if she comes back in the regular season, which looks likely at this point, but we'll see. Um, yeah, you just made me very nervous. Yeah, there. no, no, no. Don't. I, I won't. <laughs> You're not reporting anything. I'm not. To be clear. I'm not reporting anything. I won't. I won't go either way. I won't go the pessimistic or optimistic route. I will say that, um, you know, given how they described it as mild, given the amount of time she's had between the injury and this upcoming San Diego game, this is the first one where you genuinely can wonder if if she's going to be back. But regardless of whether she comes back or not. To me, she's the MVP and, you know, it's, it's, it's great to play with somebody like that, but also I think people like Morgan and Sam sort of suffer for lack of credit because of, because of being on a great team and because of being on a great team with great individual players like Soph. And Weaver has been just enormous in keeping the thorns afloat in the attack while folks like Soph and while folks like Crystal Dunn have been out. Uh, as a result of the World Cup or or now Smith's injury, uh, and so yeah, I, I I agree that that there are a lot of circumstances in which there would be uh, a pretty credible Morgan Weaver for MVP uh, campaign. Uh, I I think you know I think any of them, including probably Smith, uh, can most be helped in their MVP campaigns by the Thorns going out and winning the Shield. If the Thorns win the Shield, I think it's going to be one of them, and I think I know which one of them it is. It'll be Soph. Yes. Not not to spoil it, but kind of to spoil it. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, the Thorns made a signing, if you can believe it, with three games weird left time. in the season. Weird, weird time. Um, you know, finding ways within the NWSL rules to uh, to bring somebody in. Uh, and forgive me on the pronunciation, Rika Siveke. Uh, she is from uh, Denmark. Uh, that was my attempt at uh, speaking yeah. with a sort of Danish I- flair. I won't correct you, but somebody else might. Yeah, she would. She she wants to just go by re, so that that'll be um, easy enough it's for easier. folks uh, than, than what I attempted there. But uh, she's somebody that's a center back, outside back, versatile defender. Twenty seven years old, played uh, played in the WSL for Everton for three years. Um, genuine like depth and experience that you know adds to what is already I think a strong position group for the thorns but um you know with the expansion draft coming up this off season with you know questions about like how many minutes can you play Becky Sauerbrunn in the playoffs without you know running her into the ground too hard and trying to be safe with her injury 
um, coming off of a heel injury, which is like one of the worst possible places to have an injury as a soccer player. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good signing and something that I think that, you know, Karina LeBlanc would have probably liked to get done earlier just to have more time for, for re to sort of show herself in the last few games of the season and, and have that trial run. But at the same time, she's still going to be there for these, these three big games. She might see a few minutes here and there. Um, and she's an insurance policy in a lot of ways too. And, and it ties directly into that expansion draft where the thorns, you know, as talented and deep as they are, they can only protect nine players. And you got to think given the talent and depth of this thorns team, a lot of these players who are not protected are going to be poached inevitably, whether it's, you know, older, more experienced and veteran players that, they, that are they can only names. lose one, right? I don't remember in the expansion draft. Is it, is it one or two? It may be multiple. I don't know if the top, of I, I don't head. think they can lose more than one or two. Usually if you, if you get one or two taken, then you're, you're protected. The rest of your roster is, is safe. That would be ideal uh, for them. For the then. Yeah. So either, either way, you know, you, you think about Mangus being out of contract, Becky Sauerbrunn being out of contract, um, both Portland people through and through and, and people who love this team, but there are opportunities that could pop up for either of them elsewhere or they could step away from the game. We, we, we don't know at this point. Yeah. Just the timing makes it weird, right? I mean, you know, three games left in the season. They're all extremely high leverage games at this point. You kind of have to plan that way. Maybe the third one becomes less so if you win the next two. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you sort of have to plan as though they're all really high leverage games. And those are just difficult games to bring somebody new into, especially in a position like center back. So, you know, the timing is strange. The contract that she signed for the remainder of the 2023 season guaranteed and then has an option for 2024. So, I mean, ordinarily, you'd say that kind of a signing would be like, okay, well, the next few weeks are basically a glorified trial, right? Uh, sort of the we'll see what's there. And if there's something there, we'll bring it back for 2024. I'm not even sure there's really that much of an opportunity left to have that kind of a trial uh, and and to sort of get those sorts of opportunities. So, this may be one that they're kind of thinking, yes, we are going to exercise the 2024 option. And that's a little bit of a foregone conclusion. Uh, but, you know, for mechanics reasons, and, and to be clear, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about MLS rules. There is a lot more we don't know about NWSL rules. It is basically a total black box. Uh, but there might be just sort of reasons, hashtag, uh, why, uh, why that option is there. But they are nonetheless planning on, on exercising it. Or they're just planning to assess her primarily in training. Uh, but it's it's strange timing. It's extremely late in the season to make this kind of a signing, which, you know, you would ordinarily expect to be, if not a starter, a rotation player, just given uh, her international pedigree and and and, uh, and experience in, in really credible leagues abroad. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's just not a lot of time to, to bring a, a player like that, like that in. So yeah. we'll see uh, how it ends up playing out, but it's, it's a little bit of a head scratcher in terms of, uh, of when it's happening. There's a lot of things that go into, you know, finalizing these type of deals. You know, you think about what happened with the Timbers last year with, with Juan David Mosquera, somebody that came in pretty much at the tail end of the year. And, you know, he showed himself to be a really talented and important player that this year has, has been great for them. Different sort of player, obviously, you know, he was really young when he came to, to the Timbers, um, 
re is is sort of a veteran player that you know, you're kicking the tires on um after several strong years in the WSL um for those who are curious i guess about how the the rules apply in in terms of the signing um i was actually able to figure out what the rule was that allowed for, wow. for this to happen yes it, i am i am here for nwsl rules content despite the lack of transparency that exists with the nwsl with regard to so many rules and policies um the one that that applies here and and the reason why karina leblanc and company were able to do this was that she was out of contract from everton during the most recent transfer window which which ended um obviously weeks ago because of that, because the fact she was out of contract during that window, um, she could be signed at any point, essentially, after that window. And the signing didn't get across the finish line until basically now. They had been working on it, obviously, for a while. But, you know, there there are things that go into it. You know, the the negotiation with agents, you know, the the travel and the the visa system the archaic american immigration system that is always creating hurdles for people there's a lot of factors there and it it sucks that obviously she wasn't be able to be here earlier in the season to to have a longer trial run but she's here and she's somebody that adds depth and and a sort of insurance for this postseason run and and from what i've heard she is in love with sort of the thorns organization and what they represent for women's football sort of on a global stage like she came to the game against ol rain and watched it from i believe a box seat uh and was blown away because obviously there were twenty five thousand people here and it was an amazing atmosphere but you know that even in the wsl a lot of times they they aren't necessarily getting those type of atmospheres and and sort of feelings around the clubs but she she was enamored with it and i think People like that who can maybe factor into the long term as a sort of culture fits. That's that's a big deal for the Thorns, regardless of how it sort of shakes out in terms of personnel. Yeah, and and hopefully she sort of steps right in and and, and is able to make an impact, at least demonstrate through training or otherwise, that she's going to have a place uh, in the team going forward. Uh, I think that's the hope. I think just from the outside, it's a little bit difficult to know sort of what to expect. Uh, just because of the timing and, and, and the nature of the contract and the like, this could be somebody who we is here for a few weeks and we never hear from again. Uh, or she could become somebody who's a, a mainstay and, and is here for quite a while and could be a central part of the 2024 Thorns. Who's to say? At this point, shrug shoulders. We, we, got three, uh, we got three games left now for the Thorns. This game against San Diego on the 30th, uh, the game at home against Gotham one week later, and then on the road at Angel City eight days after that on October 15th. Then it's playoff time, baby. Then in, in all likelihood, the Thorns will have a home game to, to essentially get into the championship. But given how tight everything is, nothing is set in stone yet. Obviously, things going the opposite direction mean a far more difficult path for the Thorns to repeating as champions. Um, the window for building the dynasty is something that we have sort of talked about before. I think it may be more limited in certain respects in the short term than folks might think, given the dominance on the field, the thorns have experienced because they're, 
in this coming off season could be a number of changes and potential retirements or departures or whatever that, you know, change the sort of veteran nucleus of, of this team. You think about players like Mangus and Sauerbrunn being out of contract. Now I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, I've heard one way or the other that they're, you know, going to be shipping off, but you know, Crystal Dunn is out of contract too. There's, there's veteran players on this team who um, Christine Sinclair, she has not announced her retirement, but I would think that she's probably got one more year with the thorns barring any sort of surprise there. Um, and, and I'd be shocked if she went to play for another club in, in her career, but you, you have this young core, you have this, you know, incredibly talented young core in Sophia Smith, Sam Coffey, Morgan Weaver, and the like, you know, Bella Bixby factoring into, into that mix as well. Um, that to me are the no doubters when it comes to protection and in the expansion draft, uh, as we talked a little bit about off air, um, but those veteran leaders and sort of what they mean to the, to the nucleus of the club is significant and finding a way to navigate, not only, you know, potentially losing one or, or more of those players in the off season, but also, um, you know, hanging on to and extending with, with big dollar bills, the, the players that you have like, Soph, like Sam, like Morgan, yeah. um, that's that is essential. I think they did a good job, you know, locking in a, a player like Raina Reyes after her a strong rookie year, and she seems, as some people had put it, like the heir to Kling on on the uh, outside back spot. Um, you know, it, Kling is is probably got another year or two herself, but you know, Reyna fits right into that timeline. And doing that, you know, making sure that they navigate the sale well enough to lock in those, those contracts that are being negotiated and soon enough. and soon enough. Yeah. Especially Soph's because, you know, we've talked about it. Soph has one year after this one left on her deal. And that that's the big one that you circle a million times over with a big red marker. So can't, can't let her enter a contract. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot do, but that. the others are crucial too, for sure. The others are crucial, but, and, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it, it, that is sort of the point though, which is, the reason I think you can make the claim that the thorns may nonetheless be able to sort of carry over. There's always bumps when you're sort of in a generational transition, but there's reason to think that a generational transition for the thorns could go as smoothly as it possibly can because you have that core. I mean, my goodness, if you're able to lock down for multiple years, a core of Sam coffee, Morgan Weaver and Sophia Smith, you're going to be good. Like that's, there are not many teams in the league that can match up player for player with that core. Uh, and, and that makes it a lot easier to put pieces around them to help them succeed and, and, and to build out the team. Uh, so, you know, I, I agree that they are definitely going to have important players to replace over the course of the next few years. Uh, Crystal Dunn's a phenomenal player. Becky Sauerbin's an amazing player. Not, these aren't hot takes. Uh, and, and they're going to have to find people to, to step into those roles, uh, if, and when they leave, whether it's after this year or next year or when they retire. But it's a lot easier to do that when you've got Sam Coffey, Sophia Smith, and Morgan Weaver locked in for the long term. Uh, and so I think that's why for me that is, I mean, getting that core bought in and locked in contractually uh, for the long term is is a nearly co-equal task to going out and building a training facility for the long and, and I guess medium term health of the club. Right. And, and you know, the the sale 
is is something that you know obviously lingers in the back of everything right and is expected to be fit not even in the back it's like in the front of everything yeah it's well right? when a lot of people who who pay attention to the thorns casually on the outside think of the thorns they're thinking about the sale right now right they you know other nwsl fans who are not necessarily watching every thorns game uh but might be keeping up casually that's that's probably one of their first questions and at this point we are where jessica berman said we were uh, about a week or two ago. And, and that is that, you know, it's expected to be completed by the end of the year. We don't know the name or names of the principal owners or ownership groups. Um, at this point, it's, it's a, it's a big question mark and, and who those people are and the position that, that Paulson and company put them in to, to sort of hit the ground running on that training facility is big, but, but the personnel thing is, is just as big as you, as you said, um, you know, locking those players in and, and building um, what Karina LeBlanc has talked about as as a global brand, as 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 the epitome of what women's football should be on on a global stage, competing with great clubs around the world. It's 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 here for the taking, absolutely. Yep. Despite all of the BS that the players have had to go through over the last couple of years, having to answer for all of these things that were not their fault and endure the stress of dealing with all of those issues and power through and, and experience loss and heartbreak and the pains of, of you know, trying to establish yourself in this way. Um there, there is greatness to be had here. And that's, I think, a really exciting thing for fans to watch, but it's a fraught thing too. And and it's possible for those things to, to not go that way. So you have to sort of appreciate them as they, as they come and just sort of, you know, clench your fists and hope that everything, if you're a fan, hope, hope that everything works out. And the, you know, I mean, in many ways, the, the, Ownership transition is going to be kind of the mystery first domino that's going to determine how everything else falls from there. Uh, and, you know, I, that that includes all the all the questions that go into that, right? When? Who? How much? How much are they going to invest in the team? Like, you know, I mean, it, it involves all of those things. Uh, and we don't have answers to any of them. Uh, and so as we look at these pressing issues around the club, including locking in this core of players and building out a training facility and uh, and and you know managing this generational transition that is is unavoidable regardless of whether they re-sign some of those players uh, to new contracts for next year. It's just going to happen the next year or two as a matter of time. Uh, you know, the, the, those are all, you know, will be substantially affected by the new ownership uh, the approach that they take and how much they invest and 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 all of those things. So, uh, you know, I I very much see figuring out that question is kind of the that in you know in in many ways in the foreground of all of these other issues that we've been discussing with the with, with the team. Next game for the Thorns Saturday, September thirtieth against the San Diego Wave. That's at home at seven thirty over at the park. I'll be there. I will not be at the same time watching the Portland Timbers on the road at the LA galaxy. Although maybe I'll have it up on the laptop as sort of background just to, just to see how it's going. I won't be writing on that, of course. Uh, but you know, you can continue to follow my work and, and our podcast on Oregon live.com. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter at soccer made PDX at Chris Reifer at Ryan T Clark, like subscribe, do all the good stuff. Um, 
Chris, any any parting thoughts here, good sir? Nah, I think I got them all out. Good. Feel pretty good about it. Feeling good. We're we're feeling good <laughs> on a Thursday, folks. So thanks for joining us and, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>